I'm Brock Gordon, and I'm an art teacher at Fusion Academy. And I work with a group of fantastic teachers. This summer, I'm catching up with them on their ideas on education. This is Summer League. My guest this week is Kathleen Collins. She's a department head of humanities here at Fusion. In part one, we're gonna talk about her experience. And in part two, we're gonna talk about graduate school and learning from failure. So I have Kathleen Collins in the art studio today, and she is a very good friend of mine. She's another department head. She is a, a really experienced teacher and somebody I go to all the time for questions and just to chat. And uh, anyway, welcome to the art studio, Kathleen. Thanks, thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. So tell us a little bit about where you come from. Well, I actually was born and raised in Houston and in South Houston. Um, Grew up my whole life from three until after my 10th grade year in the same house and then and then moved. We I went to Madison High School, so if anybody's familiar with that. And um, then we moved out to Fort Bend County, and I went to the original Dulles High School, and graduated from there. And um, then we moved north and lived in Conroe, Lake Conroe, for a little while before I went to, or I guess my first two years actually before I moved to Huntsville and. Went to Sam Houston for a couple of years, and um, but anyway, so born and bred in Houston, and then I, like I said, I went to Sam Houston for a couple of years, and then didn't really know what I was doing. Didn't have a path, just taking courses. I wish they'd have had back then Lone Star. I probably should have taken or would have taken that path, but um, did not went to, barely got into Sam Houston, and um, got there, made A's and B's, but just floundered. Um, Dropped out after two years and got married. And so once I got married, I immediately moved to Missouri, lived in St. Louis for a few years. Then we've moved all over the whole rest of my adult life. I have moved all over the Midwest and South. Ultimately, I'm back in Houston. And that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. How did you find uh, Fusion Academy? I had moved back to Texas after being in Alabama, and I didn't have a job. I had quit. I had been teaching in Alabama for uh, 10 years, and was teaching 7th grade geography. Moved here without a job, without a place to live, without... Just, you know, it was like the clampets on the back of the, uh-huh. you know, everything, <laughs> everything that didn't fit into the, into the moving van was in the, in my car. And <laughs> we moved and stayed with my sister for a while. And every day I was looking, you know, looking for jobs, you know, looking for teaching jobs. Although I was not certified in Texas, everybody said, Texas really needs good teachers. You'll find, you'll have no trouble. Interesting. I couldn't get an interview. I didn't have, you know, I have a master's degree, mm-hmm. but I couldn't even get an interview. And so as I'm looking through, you know, Indeed and all the major, you know, websites, I, I looked, I think, at a website for private schools and was looking through them and found Fusion and read through the information and saw a posting for that they needed a, a history teacher and by the end of that day got a phone call. Went down, had an interview. It was great. I was so impressed with the campus and the people and the atmosphere and the culture there. It just was, it seemed like it would be a dream place to work. Yeah, this is something we were talking about the other day. And um, Ahmad, who was the uh, master teacher down there and Hi, Ahmad, if you're listening, and you're great. Hi, Ahmad. (laughs) Uh, But he, we were talking about how he really kind of presented the idea of fusion to you in this really exciting way. It was just really, it's 
powerful when you have a boss or you have somebody when you're applying for a job like this who really believes in the kind of school that it is and presents it as we're doing some really exciting things here i'm really excited maybe this will work for you maybe not i hope so but he saw something in you that was really along the same lines yeah he you could you could feel his excitement and, and you could you could feel his genuine interest in my background and in my teaching experience and in the things that i was saying and the questions that he was asking you know i left there feeling like i don't know you know i thought the interview went well and i don't know if i got if i'll get the opportunity to work there but oh my goodness what a cool place to work i think that's true i think it's the the school is small enough that kids really pick up on it's that we have no choice but to put everything out there the good and the bad exactly um i think it's probably easier to disappear from your personality in a larger school i look at where i teach at houston community college and i see a lot of other teachers who can kind of go in teach not really put that much of themselves into the class or you know it seems more routine and the school goes on with or without them almost and here is small enough that it really you have to kind of insert yourself into the class well you do and i think you know in a coming from a, a big public school that i taught in you know yeah i mean i had 180 students every day and probably 75 80 teachers that you know some of them you never even see uh, not that they're necessarily not on the same hallway but they mightn't be in a whole other building and the only time I might ever see like the sixth grade teachers that were in a separate building might be a faculty meeting and so here you you know it's it's a, everybody speaks to everybody else you know when they come in it's good morning it's I don't know. The kids mm -hmm. are, are um, even if they're still half asleep, the kids are, you know, out in the homework cafe playing a game of cards. You know, sometimes when I get here at 730 in mm -hmm. the morning, they're already out there playing a game of cards or they're chatting with the homework cafe director or, you know, different teachers that are sitting out there that don't have a class yet. And it's just, you know, it just peps up your morning when you walk into something like that and you already oh. have that. So what experiences led to you becoming a teacher and at what point <clears throat> did you um, ever think you would be one? That's a great, <laughs> <laughs> great question because I never, ever thought I'd be a teacher. I don't know why, but I, it just was never on my radar. And like I said, when I originally went to Sam Houston my first two years, I that wasn't, again, it wasn't on my radar. I didn't think that it was something I could do. And looking back now, if I had graduated at, at 22 or whatever you graduate from college at, I couldn't have been a teacher. So teaching is a, a second career for me. And I had to go through life and life experiences to be able to become a teacher mm. so backtrack just a little bit so you know I, I told you I went to Sam Houston for a couple of years quit got married um, I did obviously go back and finish school um, at the University of Kentucky with a degree in geography and cartography again still not education <laughs> um, but you know life again steps in throws you a curve got pregnant had had my first child while I was still in Kentucky, did some freelance cartography work, did maps. Coolest job ever. So talk about that. What would you, you like actually made maps? You worked uh, on maps? I actually made maps. And this is pre, this is going to date me, but this <laughs> is pre-GIS, pre-computer. You know, we did, I did maps by hand. So you're using drafting wow. tools, you're doing uh, uh, some of the tools that you probably use here in the art studio, um, I used to create maps. And I found something 
that I was good at. I found something that I could be proud of. And I don't think I ever had that experience in school ever that there was something that I was proud of. Something that, look, I did this and this is good. And I can relate to some of the students here because I was, I, I felt like, you know, some of them do when they, especially when they first come here. So what was, to me, map making sounds a lot like drawing. Like you were really creating this big drawing that's a real, you know, realistic kind of a thing because it's based on space. So talk about that a little bit more. Like why, why did you love map making so much? I, um, just, I think I got to research. I didn't have to draw. That's, that's. That was the scary thing initially. Okay. I didn't have to draw because you basically, when you're doing it by hand, you're using a base map. So you're using a non-copyrighted map that you're tracing, and or at least the outline, the base mm. part of the map. Now, your research comes in when you're adding whatever it is you, you want to portray, whatever information, whatever data you want to use that map for. It may be... Um, dairy cattle in South America. It may be, um, you know, teacher salaries. It may whatever you do the research and you add that information to your map. And but the base map, the outline, the rivers, whatever, whatever the geographic features that you want to include or not include, that comes in from the base map. But I just found I could I could do it. You know, I had I had I learned patience. Because that ink, when once you outline it and you're doing it in ink, that ink doesn't dry immediately. Mm. And one little flick of your pen, and you have this little tail on your paper, gets you marked off on your. Well. You know, it's <laughs> not. You know, you 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 can't submit it that way. You can't turn yeah. it into your employer that way, or your professor, or whoever. And then we also got to do some where we were actually doing color maps and you had layers. So it's very much like a photography studio where you mm -hmm. have different types of... Like a film? Like a film kind of that a... you you scribe with a tool and then you expose it to, and you have different layers. One layer will show the outline, one layer will show maybe the rivers, one layer will show the cities. And once you put all the layers together, you know, it shows everything. And then you can um, add the color to it. Um, that was just so cool to me um, and so interesting and I don't know I just I just found you know I found something that I really liked and that I was good at and had never felt that way before so that was yeah well it's such a maps are such a top-down you know they're not the human perspective but they're made by humans like there are ways of looking at big and visualizing big spaces or small spaces and visualizing organization mm -hmm. like cattle like what you're saying like exactly. and how many different ways are there to visualize how space can you represent and representing things mm -hmm. like that how can you um, represent you know one little dot if you made a dot map one little dot can represent a thousand cows yeah. And so if you're looking at South America and you've got all these cows, all these cattle, um, you're going to have there, you're going to have clusters of really dark areas where there's lots of dots and you're going to have a huge part of South America where there's nothing. And to, to then present that to somebody who maybe, you know, you're looking at the detail, you're looking at the title, you're looking at the part of the map, trying to figure out why is there this big blank spot on the map? Especially if it's a student that I'm teaching, and I show them that, you know, why, you know, they they've got to think about what do they know about South America, and ultimately it comes down. You're there's the Amazon, the Amazon rainforest is right there. You're not going to have a whole lot of cattle, right, in the middle of the rainforest, none, right. pretty much. So it's it's really a fun way to show students, and I have several of the maps that I did framed and put in my classroom, and I use those occasionally, especially when we're in a first session with a student where we're kind of getting to know each other, and I'll I'll bring that up. So there's this artist, uh, Robert Long, who I think he was working in maybe the 70s, and his whole idea was kind of expanding the idea of what a drawing is. And so he would set off in a field and walk back and forth over and over and over and over and over until he made this little path 
and he would just make a path. It was like a you know fifty foot long path, but that was his drawing. Like that was <laughs> it was he was making a line in the in the field, and so to him that was you know you're making a big mark in the field, and so he's kind of thinking about different ways that people can. Um, we don't. It doesn't like making a drawing doesn't have to necessarily be pencil on paper. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. so making visualizations, I knew you were an artist, Kathleen. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like I've had students do in, in, in geography before. I've had students do a, a, a mental map. Mm-hmm. And, and I have them clear everything off of their desk except for a pencil. And I give them a piece of a blank sheet of paper. And I tell them, I want you to draw. Doesn't matter. I'm not. I'm not grading on on your artistic ability because heaven knows I I have <laughs> none of that. But I want you to draw a mental map of the world. That means I want all the continents represented, and I want you know the oceans and, and everything. But especially the continents. So you know we talk about how many continents there are. There's seven. You can use anything. I don't want it to look like what the continent looks like because then you have to be an artist and that stresses people out like me. You can use shapes. You can use anything. Right. And it's really cool. And a lot of them really have a lot of fun with it. And, you know, create, you know, North and South America with, you know, with uh, flowers or or squares or, or rectangles or an upside down and a right side up triangle together. or So they can use their creativity, but they know that they don't have to draw. But then they can label North America, South America, you know, Antarctica, they can label those continents, and it represents to them, they're visualizing it in their in their mind, what do I know about the earth, what do I know, you know, do I know, all I want them to, all that I want them to express is be able to show me that they know relation, you know, where are continents in relation to each other. Mm-hmm. I love Don't that. You know? Uh, so you never thought that you were going to be a oh, teacher? Yes. No, I never did. Get back to that. Yeah. So I life steps in. I have a child. Um, so I end up staying home with, with, with my son, and we, which was good because we moved again. And I have another child, you know, three and a half years later. And she has some developmental delays or had some developmental delays. And some. Um, she's actually on the spectrum. And... Although we didn't know it at the time, I spent her formative years, you know, from from birth through the time she went into um, kindergarten or preschool even and beyond working with her and learning so much about how to teach, how does she learn, what's the best way to help her, learning, I've learned more medical terms and more educational terms and what works for different learning styles. And that kind of led me to, by the time she was four, I started volunteering in the in the school where she was at and where her brother went. And So how did you learn all that stuff? Just trial and error. I just, I did my research. I went to the libraries. I, you know, searched through the internet, which was not huge at the time. Uh-huh. But you still could find things. And there were still people that, that you could contact through through doctors or therapists. They had contacts of people that that knew. There was organizations uh, when we lived in St. Louis when she was where she was born. Uh, there was a program called uh, Parents as First Teachers, and they would make house calls. They would come to your house, and they just would would kind of evaluate your your child, and they didn't have to have any issues. But it was for from birth to I think three or four years old prior to going into school for your child and they would just give you strategies and give you uh, handouts of different things to do to to teach your you know to to help them be the best that they could be when they got to school and I used those you know with my daughter and then just absorbed every as I started volunteering in the school and then substituting in the schools I I, I found out that I wasn't, or I thought I found out that I wasn't as unable to, you know, I, thought, I figured out that I could, you know, teach. Yeah. That I had been doing it all along. Fast forward, I raised my kids. My son went off to college. My daughter's in high school. She's, she's worked. She's 
mainstream. She's made it through school. She she made it, you know, um, into high school. And I decided I I want I want to teach. I never wanted to do this, but I want to teach. Hmm. I, I think I can do it. Uh, I've been doing it, and so I went back to school to get my master's and my certification, and I did that while I was in Alabama. So yeah, so that's how, I mean, that's kind of the, the background of how I became a teacher. Wasn't, wasn't I mean, it's way, not on my, way out of my radar mm-hmm. and out of my, out of my vision, and just, you know, the curveballs that life throws you, just, I don't know, it just sends you on a different path sometimes. It's a new adventure, and you find different things that, yeah, I can do that. I think the best teachers have a reason for doing it. And I think it sounds like some people stumble into it. And it sounds like because of your life experiences and everything, it really just kind of, it presented itself to you. It evolved. I think, you know, again, like I said, I could not have done it if I had come out of college as a 22-year-old and gone right into teaching. And I know a lot of people do, and, and, and both of my sisters did. But I just, I didn't have that, I didn't have, I you know, I floundered too much. I never really had goals. I never really had a path that I felt was, that's my destiny, that's my path, that's where mm-hmm. I want to go. And so it took me, it took me a long time. And here I am. <laughs> did you like school when you were in high school? No. <laughs> I did not. And I was an okay student. Mm-hmm. I was mostly an A-B student, probably more B's, a few C's here and there, especially math. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. Um, I think because of the way, I don't think I, lo- I would have really excelled in, in a situation like fusion. I didn't feel like I learned the way that we were taught. I didn't I I didn't like being put into groups. I didn't like being in a classroom of 30 or however many students and being sat at the very front of the row because I'm so vertically challenged. <laughs> so I was always the first. I never and I am such an introvert. <laughs> that I did not want to be called on. I didn't want to, even if I knew the answer, I did not want to raise my hand, wouldn't raise my hand. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was painful. Mm-hmm. We have, we have certain students here who I see who are extremely quiet. And I, I'm like, I know exactly how to deal with you. Cause I was you <laughs> like I was, Somebody, I would go to school all day and I might not talk to anybody, let alone f- students, teachers, Definitely bus driver. Teachers. Didn't, yeah. yeah. I could have gone days without talking to people. And it was, I think it was just a weird thing where I wasn't ready to talk to people until a certain age when I actually had a couple of friends who. At, we're at school who I could say, you know, like, oh, I'm feeling like this today. Or, you know, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I had a group of friends, a very small group of friends. Mm-hmm. But I, I've never, I've never seen myself as an extrovert, as super outgoing. And um, even even now, in especially in, in large settings, group settings, I am going to be the one that sits back <laughs> and lets... Somebody else take control. Yeah. And I, I really work hard now to not be that way. It, 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 it's still an effort because it yeah. doesn't come naturally to me. Well, I think that most introverts just like to kind of process before speaking. and Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. I sp- and I, I like, I listen to what other people are saying. Yeah. And I can be in, you know, this, I can be sitting in our, in the lunch area and there's several conversations going on and I'm pretty much listening to all of them. I uh-huh. may not say much yeah. of anything, <laughs> and, but I'm listening and yeah. I just. I think that was, that was my experience in high school. It was really just looking 
like looking out the window, looking, watching other people, listening and just picking up on everything. There's a story from there's this artist called Buckminster Fuller, who's a he's kind of a all around inventor, uh, architect, uh, interesting, really interesting guy. And he um, there's a story about when he was uh, a young parent and he had a daughter who became ill and he was traveling a lot and he was just kind of absorbed in his own work and all this stuff and his daughter fell really ill and she asked him to go to the dodgers game and get her a pennant and um he forgot and he came back and just said you know uh i forgot to get you the thing and shortly thereafter his daughter died and like fell really ill but he just fell into this deep dark headspace and he didn't talk to anybody for about two years and i think he would say little things to his wife and that kind of thing but he came out of that silence after two years and i think it was it was kind of a self-imposed thing because he realized he was just his life had been so selfish to that point and he needed to find the words that really describe what he was. What do you a say? Truer, like? Yeah, a truer sense of using his speech. And after that, I mean, if you look at interviews and the way he was after that as a professional, he just, he won't shut up. He's like, <laughs> go on and talk. But he uses this really interesting language. And I just think about that sometimes. I, I, that I, I can see that I mean, I, and I can I can relate to that because I feel not the deep depression but I can feel how I have gone through stages through life of just being very introspective I mm-hmm. guess is that the word where I'm learning about me learning how to be me and being okay with with how I am, what I am, how I present, mm-hmm. you know, how I show up. What's your what's a favorite assignment that you've given a student recently that you just saw them kind of take off? So if and when I teach geography, I like to spend some time obviously teaching map skills mm-hmm. because that's my background and Students find it very difficult, I think, because because it can be kind of confusing, but also because we don't use it much anymore, but learning latitude and longitude. So learning the different lines on a map, you know, which directions, how do we read a map? You know, one day you might have to read a map because there is no GPS. There's not going to be Siri telling you where to go one day. You might not have Google Maps yeah. or the satellites may fall from the atmosphere or from space and so you know we I like to at least give them a little bit of knowledge about about latitude and longitude and how to read a map and so one of the things I do is we take I take uh, I have the student bring in or I bring in an orange typically like a navel orange or even one of those little clementines that they have now that peel super easy and I will have them peel it and get, you know, the white, um, I don't know what that white part is of the, of the orange. When you peel it, get all that stuff off. And you can see, when you peel the orange, you can see the lines on the orange where the segments are divided. Right. Where that orange is divided. Yeah. Those are perfect examples of longitude lines. Because they all meet up at the top at the poles or down North Pole, South Pole. They all meet and right. touch down at the poles. And you can, and they go all the way around, 360 degrees around that orange and so it's really you can see the lights start turning on in the student's brain when they look at it and we start you know we start comparing that orange that we peeled to just a representation of a of a globe with longitude lines on it and so we talk about longitude and how they you know are closer together at the poles or at the you know at the tip of the orange the further apart at in the middle where the equator would be. Right. So great representation. But for them to see visibly the latitude and longitude lines and relate to it, it it's really helpful. And I, I the students really enjoy doing that. And the other thing that I do 
along those same lines as I have them bring in a tennis ball. We make a tennis ball globe. And there's a template that I print out that's got the, uh, a map of the world. And you cut it out, and it's kind of zigzag. But if you think about uh, a map that's cut into zigzags, almost like you would have a uh, the mouth of a, of a jack-o'-lantern. Uh-huh. Yeah, know, the, the, the V's all the way around. And you cut that out, and when you when you put that around the tennis ball, and you fold it all together, the map comes, the globe comes, all the continents come together perfectly, and basically it's an activity to show them a, a visual a representation of what happens to the globe when you turn it into a flat map. Things get distorted cartographers have to fill in the areas that are split. So all the spaces between the V's in that template have to be filled in with something if it's going to be flat. Right. But once you wrap it around the tennis ball and you you fold it all together, all those continents come back together like they're supposed to. All the lines, the continents all join like we see them on a regular map. And it gives the kids a good example, a good visual representation of, of space and distortion. And so that, that's, that's a couple of examples that I use. One weird thing when you're flying, let's say from uh, the East Coast of the United States to some anywhere in Europe, and you look on the flight tracker, when you're on the plane, it'll show you this little map and a little picture of a plane flying over the Atlantic. And you go way more north than you think you would. Right. You are like, we're almost going to Iceland. What's yeah. what's happening? Um, and it's really the curvature of the earth and uh, all these weird things where it's actually a very short distance mm -hmm. once you get up closer um, to the North Pole to be able right. to travel, which is it's just so weird. <laughs> yeah. Think, like, there's straight there's line. so many things about maps that that kids just don't get because they don't look at them. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the things I always did with my kids. We always had maps in the car. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with part two, and we're going to talk about graduate school. with Kathleen Collins and we're talking in part two about graduate school and uh, some of the trials and tribulations and learning and uh, bouncing back from hard times that come with going to grad school. So tell me a little bit about your experience in grad school. What was it like? I, you know, I think I mentioned earlier that I went to grad school after my kids were older. So it had been many years since I had finished undergrad. The difference between not only undergrad's content and graduate school content was was hugely different, but just the amount of, I don't know, maybe brain cells that I lost in that time <laughs> frame between the two was, you know, it was it was a very difficult transition. I wanted to become a teacher. I had, you know, like I said earlier, I had be, done all of the work. Uh, I had had made those journeys and those side journeys and, and felt like I was ready to, to do this. And just took that leap of faith and applied to graduate school, got in and started. I mean, the, the whole process went, you know, happened in the span of, you know, a couple of months. From, from my decision to do it to actually being accepted. Wow. And then I started, and I think I started in the January semester. The University of Montevallo is a very small university. It's an old university, I think 18-something, but it's in Montevallo, Alabama, and it's 
small, picturesque town. It's a beautiful campus. And so the classes were small. And I thought, this this will be perfect. This is what I need. And I get there, and holy cow, was I overwhelmed by the amount of work. Of course, now I'm doing my graduate work and getting my certification at the same time. So I'm taking, because education was not my my degree as an undergraduate, I needed those education courses I'm a certified teacher. And in addition to taking graduate coursework in geography and social, basically social studies, because I couldn't have all geography classes since that was my undergraduate. I needed more social studies, history, government, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was... It was a little traumatic, a little more traumatic than I thought. A lot of stress. Uh, you know, I wasn't working. And there were some people there who, who started the program who were working. I don't know how they did it. How old were your kids when you went in? My son wa- had just gone off to Auburn. So he was in his first year at, at Auburn. So he was a freshman. And my daughter was 14, maybe 15. She w- had just started high school. Okay. So maybe 14 or 15. Yeah. She was my biggest cheerleader, though. Well, oh. both of my kids were, but because she was at home, she was my biggest cheerleader. And when I would get overstressed with the work, as I tend to let myself do, she would, you can do it, Mom. She's doing great. And she'd come <laughs> in. I'd be sitting at the computer writing whatever and sh- or researching something or creating a lesson and or having to having to create a lesson that I was going to have to present and she would she would be there she was always and she still does to this day she's my biggest cheerleader (laughs) it's pretty cool how many other people were also in your department in the same place that you were trying to get a graduate degree well that was one of the reasons that took me to Montevallo as opposed to going someplace like UAB, which is University of Alabama, Birmingham, which is a big campus, you know, in downtown Birmingham. Um, it was a small campus, and the cohort itself was small. I think we had, in that particular semester, we started with maybe 20 in the whole cohort. And then, obviously, some veer out as they do as we get further along it was only a three semester i think it was three semesters so it was very very intense because it was short what was your toughest moment in grad school wow there was a couple i do remember very first semester this again i told you it was really a leap of faith when i did this i thought i was ready but in our first semester just a few weeks after we started classes we get assigned to go do a rotation at a middle school where we're just there one day a week, all day, you know, morning to afternoon. And we're really there to observe, take notes, help out, you know, in some cases, but mostly to just kind of observe. And now we did have to teach a couple of lessons during that semester, one at the very early session, you know, at the very beginning, one towards the end. And so by the, maybe the fourth week that we're there, we're teaching a class. So I was assigned to a sixth grade history. And I think in Alabama, sixth grade was U.S. history. And I had to teach a class. And the teacher at the time gave me the topic she wanted me to teach. Now, mind you, my background is geography. So I, I'm really having to do a lot of research. She gave me... She gave me a topic I wasn't super familiar with. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The lesson did not go well. Oh, my goodness, did it not go well. So what happened? I, I'm teaching. I'm up there, and, you know, I've passed out whatever it is, you know, whatever the handout is to the students. I'm trying to explain what I want them to do. I'm getting this, you know, crickets and blank stares, (laughs) and I'm watching the professor. Well, she wasn't even a professor. She was an adjunct teacher, probably not a whole lot, probably about my age or maybe a little bit older than me. And so, anyway, she's jotting notes at the back on the sheet that they jot notes about Uh your lesson. And, I mean, students weren't answering. They were standing there, sitting there in their, you know, in their desks just they didn't work nothing it was just and if I wrote something up on the board and my back was turned for a minute I'm looking trying not to cry (laughs) trying to tell myself just just work through it just work through it 
I it was awful. I left well, this, after the after that particular lesson was over. Um, the the teacher kept me because students went to lunch and she kept me for a couple of minutes to give me the paper that she had written her notes on because then she was leaving campus and she basically told me and wrote on my paper that was then documented for everybody um i needed to rethink what i was doing <laughs> i needed to go into a different field i was crushed i was crushed uh, oh my goodness and i had to stay the rest of the day i was not done so oh it was not boy. a good day i'm thinking this is the fourth week into grad school and i'm gonna drop out yeah. i can't do this <laughs> it was traumatic that sounds like it and i i i don't i don't remember what i said to my i know i had a lot of people talking to me because i was just really upset a lot of people trying to help me work through it. I don't know how I convinced myself to not quit, other than the fact that I, I, I think I just said, you know, this is not, this didn't go the way you planned, and this is not typical, and you can do this. And by the time I taught my second one at the end of that semester, it was perfect, yeah. and it went <laughs> so awesome. It's <laughs> like I wanted to say, see there. <laughs> Well, the thing is, you're getting judged or you're getting marked on when you're first coming into graduate school. Why are you supposed to be an expert at that point? I, I, I don't that know. That makes no sense. It was, it was so, I didn't know the kid's name. I mean, how do you know the kid's name? No. Yeah. So, you know, you're supposed to call them by name. You can't just say, uh, you, there was 30 kids in this class and oh, yeah. I'm there one day a week. And this is probably the fourth time I had been there. So it was very, you know, it's. It's that kick in the gut that, you know, and I've had lots of them in life. I mean, we all have. It really made me realize as I started teaching, I remember how I felt that day. If I have a student that has done a project and part of that project is they have to present, I get it. Yeah. And I understand. And we work through it. You're always going to have to do things that make you feel uncomfortable. And I, we talk, you know, I talk to the students about it when, when I assign stuff like this. It, it's okay to feel uncomfortable. And if you need note cards, if you need a few minutes or a couple of minutes, you need a break in between, it's okay. All of those things are okay. Um, I'm not going to fail you on your presentation. Yeah. And, um, but I did feel like that one day. I did feel like a complete failure. Well, I really did. I think as a teacher, you it's it's okay to do what you're saying. You just want to let them know that it's okay sooner than that teacher just kind of let you do that whole thing and then come to you later and say, "Well, I'm <laughs> judging you." you and I had an audience. I don't. I had that oh, teacher. Yeah. I had the class teacher. <laughs> I I had an aide. I had several teachers in there observing me, which made it even more yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, but. But you want to just let the student know that, like, I'm going to stop you right now. What you're feeling is you're uncomfortable and you're not sure what you're doing. And that's okay. Let's work. This is a great place to start working. Yeah. You know? or it's, and, and, it's, and it's okay. And that's what's so cool about Fusion because most of the time it's just me and the one student. And it's not as overwhelming as if you've got a class full of students. Yeah. And, and so you can stop and you can say, today's not the day. Let's talk through this. Let's do practice. Let's practice. Let's, let's just kind of bounce off of each other some things that, that you can say or that maybe you can try. And then you can present next time. Or if you feel like coming back during, during lunch today, yeah. you know, whatever. And, and you can always just see that anxiety melt off of the student at that point when they feel like okay it's not that big a deal yeah um so but yeah i i always i always go back to how i felt <laughs> on that day there was another one actually too where we had to as a in that first semester it was later in the later in the semester more towards the end where we had to be interviewed by was it two or three professors and they asked us just all kinds of questions about 
what is our philosophy, teaching philosophy? What is our, how do we relate this to students and how do we do this? And, and what, how do you feel about that? And, and it was agony <laughs> and we were great. And if you didn't pass that interview, you didn't go on. I didn't pass. <laughs> and I, I looked at my score sheet. I missed it by one point. Yeah. So you had to get, I forget what it was, a, a 16 or a 17, and I got, I missed it by a point. Again, this was after the, the, yeah. the lesson. Oh, <laughs> Holy cow, what? I thought I could do this. Clearly, I was wrong. <laughs> and then you start that negative self-talk mm-hmm. that is n- never going to lead you to a good place. And you have to really, have to really work hard to change that that conversation I have with myself. And it, it takes a village, too, because I have lots of other people that I'll vent to, and they, okay, it's one time. Yeah. You get a second chance to go back. If you don't, well, I, I take that back. So you, if you don't pass it the first time, you get a second chance. So it just meant that I had to go do it a second time, which really, and it was for, it, the first time it was the two most intimidating professors mm. that were in the department that interviewed me. And then when I went back for the second time, it was different people all together and it was a breeze. So, I clearly can do it. I just, at that moment, I got, I get flustered. Again, I'm such an introvert, and I don't think about things. And talking out loud is very difficult for me. <laughs> do, so after you came back and you redeemed yourself in the second try, did you kind of have a chip on your shoulder after that in the rest of your graduate school I career? Did not. Just saying, you know, maybe not a chip, maybe that's a bad phrase, but maybe like, um, did you gain some kind of power from saying like, I conquered that? Yes. And yes, I didn't have a chip on my shoulder, but I, but I do remember saying, okay, remember what, remember this, Yeah. this is how that went. And guess what? As difficult as it was, you still were successful. And so in that respect, yeah, I, I did. That was that that fear of, okay, yes, you can. And, you know, a semester down the road, you're going to be student teaching and you're going to have pop-ins all the time. So just remember that. Remember how, you know, how you're supposed to feel. Yeah. I had a similar experience. First semester of grad school. I had to take this class called Professional Practices, and it was all about how to be a professional artist. And as the one of the last things we had to do was give a 30-minute presentation as a professional artist about our work. And I was 25, and I didn't know. It was my first semester in graduate school. Again, how are you supposed to know Exactly. What your work is at that point. You're so confused. Um, I, I think the main thing in art graduate school is you first come in, they try to break your habits or they try to really question your habits and say, I, why are you doing what you're doing? I agree. Yes. And until you can answer that question, why are you doing it? <laughs> and it's um, so anyway, I was in the middle of a big mental block not block but just I was very confused as to what I was doing and so I had to give a 30 minute presentation about being confused <laughs> um, and so I remember I started off the talk because when you don't know what you're doing you just make it up and so I started off the talk with a photograph of my elementary school report card where I had all these they wouldn't letter grades it was satisfactory or unsatisfactory right. or needs improvement. Those right, are the three. Exactly. Satisfactory, needs improvement, or unsatisfactory. And I had all these S's except for art. But I had <laughs> need improvement. And I started off the talk with that and just said, you know, this is uh, this is my elementary school report card. And I just wanna, you know, start with that. The the first thing that happened after my talk was over 
and we were being critiqued by a couple of professors was that's not you you can't do that yet you're not at that point that you can you know say i started back there and i'm here now you know oh, wow and i was like well you're right I'm making it up. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a professional artist and I'm doing my best right now, but I understand what you're saying. And yeah. Cause you're not, you're not there. <laughs> and, and I was, and I was much older, obviously than you were. I, I still wasn't there. I don't know that I'm there today, but I do feel that my self confidence while it was probably didn't really exist when I went into grad school or was very low, that those two big, huge failures initially certainly knocked it down even more. But to build it back up, to be able to recover from that, to be able to keep moving forward and putting one step, one foot in front of the other. I feel like in the first half of graduate school, at least in my experience, they're almost trying to, no matter where you are and where you're coming from, they're kind of trying to find holes in the armor. Yes. A little bit. Probably, and, yes. And figure out where you need to really be asking questions. And so anyway, th there was just a whole lot of questions about what I was doing and why. And every time... We would be in a critique about work. I would bring something in and kind of give my spiel about, oh, I'm interested in this and that and that. <clears throat> and immediately people are saying, why? This is not your personality. And after hearing that for about a year and a half, I was a little tired of it. <laughs> and I remember getting into this one critique with my major professor who um, I just adore. I think he's one of my heroes as a artist and as an administrator and teacher and administrator. And he just um, operates with a whole lot of integrity. But he wasn't afraid of me at all. And <laughs> he really, he said it. You know, in a critique when we were uh, in this small group and he was just like, I went on my spiel and was like, I'm thinking about this and this is what my work is about. And I said, does that make sense? And he said, no. And we <laughs> stared at each other for, I swear, it was about five seconds, which is an eternity. And we just stared at each other. And I'm sure I was just, there was, you know, smoke and steam coming out of my ears. But we just had this conversation in front of two other students where he just kind of laid it out for me and said, you need to be involved in what you're doing and it needs to be personal and you need to take this personally. And it was after that, it really, I think I had some tough times, but that was something that I really understood after that. And at the end of it all, I think the message of grad school and all of this um, experiences is you come away, hopefully, with knowing something and not just not just knowing like facts and that kind of thing. But in your deepest heart of heart, you know something about yourself and maybe it's that it's a little confidence it's from you you know getting back up after your i think you just know something and i i left graduate school knowing who i was in a much better way and knowing what i wanted to do cuz i experienced it a yeah little bit. i mean <clears throat> i think I, I think it's exactly correct. If if you're especially in in an education setting or if you're going to be teaching your, your professors should be able to be that hard-hitting, give you that, that difficult, honest, difficult feedback, advice. Not that I didn't know that I did terrible that day. I absolutely <laughs> knew. I, I felt it with every fiber of my being. I didn't want to be told that, but it was absolutely honest. Now, I didn't think 
she needed to go so far as to tell me I needed to you know, rethink here. Rethink my my <laughs> calling or whatever, but but it, again, that was still a um, an eye opening. You know, it it did make me, and I was you know I was still learning about about my self confidence. I still needed to work on where it was, how I wanted to apply those skills that I had learned when my kids and, and my daughter, when I was trying to teach her to do, you know, those difficult things. I was, I knew I could do it. I had done it. I had been, you know, spent my, most of my adult life doing it. And now I needed to learn how to put that into practice in a classroom setting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it took the whole of graduate school to to perfect it. And it's not not that it's perfect, but but to hone those skills that I call on daily. Well, when somebody comes to you and says they're really questioning you and your decision to be there, you've already made the decision to be there. You've already enrolled. Right. You're in the program. You're studying. You paid the money. You've already made that decision. When you get there and somebody says, I think you need to rethink this, and you don't, and you go back, that strengthens your decision that much more. Yeah. You know? I I mean, I I felt, you know, once I got over the initial trauma Mm -hmm. of being told that, I think, you know, I was able to pick myself up and apply in a, in an even more dedicated, focused manner than I had before. It was still hard. Not everybody has that experience um, in graduate school. And I think that's okay. Some people might just come into it with a better understanding of, uh, what it is that they're doing, but I need, I needed that time and I needed that kind of pushback and, um, to think about it differently because I think that the thing with graduate school is that it's whatever your experience was in undergrad, this is not more of the same. And there are several people I was in school with who came straight through, you know, they'd been in school since they were in kindergarten right. and they went straight to graduate school right after they got out of college because it was, you know, what you do next. And I can't imagine doing that. And they re I mean, several people who, you know, I was with had a really tough time dealing with that idea that this is different. This is meant to be different. This is almost like whatever your experience was in undergrad, this is kind of flipped upside down purposely meaning to really get at the core of like why are you doing this well and it's it's it to me it was was very real world applicable in more than just teaching for me Mm. it was you're going to go to a job whatever job you end up having somebody's going to tell you that's a piece of crap Yeah. yeah that proposal is awful yeah that lesson it stumped and you have to learn how to not take it personally i mean well you have to take it personally to some degree but i think you need to not take it personally so personally that it affects you mm-hmm. so that you okay uh yeah it wasn't so how can i do it better what is it i can do to do better the next time when i was once i ultimately graduated and, and I was teaching, I had a student teacher in my class one semester. I remember giving her all kinds of advice that, you know, I wished I'd have known going into. And she was all, she was, if I thought, if I ever thought I was an introvert, oh my goodness, <laughs> she was an introvert. And she knew her material, but she really struggled with, with just talking to and I can talk to people one-on-one but if it's in a group it's it's more difficult and she couldn't even really talk one-to-one you know I could see her struggles and that's ultimately I think what makes a really good teacher and what makes fusion so special is because with just one student in our class we can see it's written all over their body language in their face when they either 
are coming in with a bad day or your lesson is, you know, you think it's going great, but they are not getting it. I mean, or they're bored to tears or whatever, whatever the case may be. You know, you can see it. They can't hide behind that person that's sitting in front of them. And so by the end of grad school, one of the professors, one of the ones that failed me (laughs) in that first interview was we had this. So when we were doing our final semester of your student teaching and at the same time you're student teaching, you're also taking his last class. And he was tough. Mm -hmm. He was hard. And um, you had to make presentations for his class and you're also making lessons for your student teaching and you're being observed and you're you're doing the whole shebang and then some. And in addition to that, for his class, you have to take part of what you've done as a student teacher and compile it into a written paper analysis of, you know, and you have to pick student and you have to pick like a high, a middle, a low learner, and you have to evaluate and analyze and all of this stuff. It ended up being like this 30 or 40 page um, document that I submitted. And I remember the feedback that he gave me at the end of that. And I'll never forget it because it was so, I mean, it just kind of made me feel like I've, I've made the right decision um, was that um, I had made of everybody he was teaching. I had made the most progress from beginning to end. And he had seen such a change in what I was doing because I found myself because I think I I found my strength I found um, the passion that I had that was buried super super deep mm-hmm. maybe was able to kind of come to the surface and it really made me feel good to get that feedback and to get it from him especially I think when you can give a student middle school high school Um, elementary, whatever, when you can give a student that feedback on their papers, on their, on their assignments, verbally, but especially when you write feedback on their papers. Mm -hmm. Um, I always, whenever a student has a, as a, an assignment, we always go over it. You know, after I've graded, I always go over and we talk about the comments that I've made on their open response questions or their essay or whatever the assignment was and talk about why you know, why I said what I said. And, and I, I think it helps, you know, I think it helps them grow. It helps them to understand what, what, how they can improve. And, and this particular professor was always given feedback in assignments that was not just not just positive but he would he would give you those hard comments so remember this when you become a teacher remember this particular assignment when you become a teacher isn't it interesting how you remember that one particular incident from first grade Mm -hmm. when the teacher called you out so embarrassed you in front of the whole class that on your math assignment that to this day you still can't math <laughs> makes you sweat you know remember these things yeah. and um and I do I mean I truly remember and I use those memories and I use my my life knowledge just my life's journeys because like I said I've had some major curveballs that you know things that hit you out of nowhere that you don't expect and knock you down and and you got to get back up you've got to move on and I think that's what these kids learn here I think that um, fusion is the best place to help or for students to be able to to learn about themselves yeah when you have those bad days or maybe not even a bad day but a bad year you can go um and I've done it since since that understanding, like gaining that understanding and just feeling it. Um, you can go back to that feeling and say, like, I, <clears throat> I know what it felt like to know myself and to be able to rely on myself and feeling that, like, confidence that I can do anything. 
It's almost like a feeling that it's this ultimate power and, um, it's, it's just building up your self-confidence. I yeah. wish I had had it in high school. I wish I had had it in, you know, undergraduate school. I wish I had it in so many life events. And I still, I mean, it's it's still a work in progress. But I think I think everybody is. I mean, mm-hmm. I think everybody's a work in progress. And, and we evolve and we change every day. And, and on those bad days, I try to remember. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You can do it. Just pick yourself back up. Get up. Thank you very much, Kathleen, for coming and talking. Thank you. Yeah, so me. much uh, wisdom as you do every day. Thank you so much. Uh, where can people find you if they want to ask you any questions? Uh, I, I don't do a whole lot of social media. Basically, you can find me on Facebook, just Kathleen Logan Collins. I'm there, um, and just email lkl.collins at gmail.com. Great. That's just it. <laughs> uh, you can follow the show at Summer League HTX on Instagram. We're going to be back next week with another teacher. Until then, we'll see you. <laughs>